Millions of people in the UK and across the whole world are preparing for a special, a rare weekend indeed, with a new king to be crowned. On May 6th, the coronation of King Charles III will be held at Westminster Abbey, marking the high point of his accession to the throne. Huge crowds, parades and shows in the street are planned. From around the world, people are heading to London to get a live view of this historic moment. We'll be talking to some of the people who are already feeling the buzz rise in the spring sunshine outside Buckingham Palace. It is an event that was last staged 70 years ago to install Queen Elizabeth II as monarch. Few can now remember that occasion, and only a scratchy film version exists to guide viewers on what to expect on May 6th. It truly is a moment for the UK to bask in celebration, after the solemn commemoration of the late Queen was broadcast around the world last year. The new king served the longest apprenticeship of anyone waiting in the wings to become British ruler. At 74, King Charles III and Queen Camilla embark on the new reign, hoping to connect with people and provide a unifying force for the public after some bitter divisions rocked national politics. This is Beyond the Headlines. I'm Damien McElroy, and this week, from the National's London Bureau, we're looking at the coronation of King Charles and what to expect from the event and from the king himself. We'll have a deeper look at the royal family and what people anticipate. Flags are hanging all the way down the mall that leads to Westminster Abbey and the soldiers in their tunics have been practising their roles in the 6,000 strong procession that's planned on May 6th. Our producer Amy McConaughey has been around Buckingham Palace to witness preparations for the big celebration and many people were delighted, including tourists who are excited to be in London during this special time. What brought you to Buckingham Palace? Yeah, I'm Cale, uh, my wife Sarah and we're from Norman, Oklahoma. Uh, we came here uh, to see and to learn and to, to do all the things. I mean, this is like once in a generation or less type situation, so I wanted to check it out. So, uh, I, I don't think I r- realized it was this big of a deal. You know, we change presidents every four years, we have all that stuff all the time. This is amazing. I mean, the streets are lined with flags and there's people in costumes and different things like that. So it's way more than I thought it would be. Really cool. If I'm being honest, we were walking towards the Buckingham Palace and saw people setting things up and we had to Google when the next coronation was because we were like, uh, there's definitely something happening. <laughs> it's going to be a historic moment for the, I think, upcoming 20 years if he lives that long. So uh, the last time I missed it, of course. So this is uh, something you want to watch. Yeah. I'm Prasad. I'm a watercolor painter and we're painting the beautiful St. James's Park. I, I didn't make any specific plans for the coronation. I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that um, King Charles is um, coming to the throne. He's um, getting coronated. And I actually have um, actually met him because I, I studied at his uh, School of Traditional Arts. And, uh, and he, we talked about watercolour. He's a big advocate of watercolour. He's a watercolour artist. And, uh, and he liked my watercolours. And uh, he is um, someone who really has been a big support for traditional art, uh, British traditional watercolour, and uh, I think it's amazing that he's uh, becoming king. Uh, my name is Anne. We've come down from Edinburgh to here uh, last night. I'm almost an exact contemporary with King Charles, and I've had the opportunity to live my life, do the job I was trained for, and now relax. So actually I feel some sympathy with a man who has been trained to do a job that only now he's, he's taking on 
and I, I think he will do it with the utmost seriousness. We have very high regard for him in Scotland for some of the projects that he has undertaken without fuss, without great fanfare, but that have made a real difference to the community. My name is Ismail. I work as a store manager in a shop called Cool Britannia in Victoria. And what kind of souvenirs and collectibles do you have now in, with King Charles and the upcoming coronation? Do you have anything related to that? Yeah, in this shop in Victoria, uh, we have always have like a royal family section. But this year, because of the coronation, obviously, we had to extend our section a bit more to the just the king section. And we have like a lot of memorabilia, uh, like marks, the tower, pen, all the bits to be honest, like whatever souvenirs we do, other products, but mostly like tea towel, mugs, tea, tins, cups, decoration stuff, a lot of them. It's fantastic to be honest because I was here during the Jubilee time and I've seen the crowded, how crowded it was in front of the palace and around the palace and, to, and the, there was a lot of police officers and the security guards to control the crowd. So they will have to control the traffic like um, pedestrians as well. So I don't know how they're planning this year, but I'm sure it will be like, really huge crowd around this area. And do you personally have any plans for the coronation? Uh, obviously, as our location is very near to the palace, we all will be at work that time. But I'm sure we will enjoy a lot because I, I really enjoy during the Platinum Jubilee celebration time, like enjoy the crowd. Because since COVID happened, it was really slow. There was not many tourists around. No, you don't see much crowds like before. But Jubilee was like a big boost for the tourism. And plus the atmosphere was entirely changed that time. So I hope something very happening, a very happy moment will be coming soon. This ceremony holds huge historical significance to the UK, and to know more about this, I sat down with royal expert Richard Fitzwilliams. I'm looking forward to, uh, firstly, the best of British, in the sense that we will see something that will be very impressively handled. We know that the British are superb at this. We saw this with the Queen's funeral and with the Platinum Jubilee. But also, there will be a service of considerable meaning, the spiritual side of what a coronation involves, the fact that there is a legitimacy that is conferred upon the monarch. The fact it will, I think, be very moving. It would be fascinating. I'm agog to see how a 21st century audience tunes in to something, firstly, that Britain's the only country that now does it in Europe, and secondly, of course, it hasn't happened for over 70 years. So that have they got the balance right? I mean, you can't change the rituals easily, but what you can do, of course, is make it more diverse, you can make it more representative, but not in the ceremony, apparently. That would, it seems, if there was any sort of multi-faced service, that would be against canon law. So it would be fascinating to see how these different elements combine on the day of the coronation. It will be followed, of course, by a concert, a big lunch, and um, a community day. But essentially, it will be the world tuning in yet again for the third time in just roughly a year uh, to Britain and also putting the royal family under the microscope Mr. Fitzwilliams talked us through some of the stages of the coronation, including long-standing traditions that were in place when Queen Elizabeth ascended to the throne in 1953. 
there will be the procession in and uh, the robes of the king and queen will be carried by the pages of honour, which will include uh, Prince George, who, of course, will be one day heir to the, his heir to the throne one day. Uh, what we will have first was the king and queen will sit in the chairs of his state, and then the king will rise and go to the coronation chair, that is St. Edward's, and the recognition the Archbishop of Canterbury will ask the audience, the north and the south, the east and the west, to recognize the monarch. And then there will be the oath promises that the king makes uh, to obey the laws, uh, show justice and mercy, and very interesting given uh, King Charles's views when Prince of Wales as expressed in 1992. Uh, he would be defender of the faith. Uh, he would, as we know, wish to be defender of faith. Subsequent to that, he receives a Bible and returns it. This was performed by the moderator of the Church of Scotland in 1953, which was the first time uh, that uh, he'd been involved, or that the Scottish Church had been involved in the ceremony. And subsequent to that, we get the most sacred part of the ceremony, and that's the anointing. Now, in 1953, there was a tremendous debate as to whether or not the ceremony should be televised at all. It was, but this particular part of it. Being the first coronation in the UK in 70 years, more young people from diverse backgrounds are following the event, Mr Fitzwilliam has told us. There may well be peers from different religions who play a part in, say, handing the spurs to the Archbishop of Canterbury and so forth. Uh, supposedly a Jewish, Muslim, Sikh and Hindu peer, according to the Times, have been chosen for this, which would be a very nice touch and I think would be as inclusive as they can make the actual ritual. What also would be so interesting, of course, the concert. Yes, Katy Perry, Lionel Richie and some big names, but also they'll choose an audience that is diverse for that, which they unquestionably can. It should be a giant spectacle. It will be watched worldwide. And this does help. It helps British business, British culture, certainly tourism and just the just the scale of it. To what extent, however, well, this I can't answer. To what extent people would participate in it? To what extent they'll be as keen that they were when the young queen at twenty-five, with Churchill calling her the gleaming figure Providence has brought to us, with Anigoni romanticizing with that famous portrait. King Charles is taking the throne at the age of seventy-four. I asked Mr. Fitzwilliams if this will limit his duties in any way. I think that, I mean, I wouldn't call, go to so far. People have been calling it a Carolean era and so forth. In fact, if you are 74, uh, your time, that you, the time that you will reign, is likely to be relatively limited. I would have thought that it would be a fair comment that the future of the monarchy is with William and Catherine and also their children. That's what I think most people feel. The royal family has its own wealth. Some of it is private. Other parts are public wealth. The National's business correspondent, Matthew Davies, tells us how much money the Windsors have and how King Charles fits into it. When William the Conqueror conquered Britain, all the land was his and all the land is in, in the right of the king. 
But since William the Conqueror and over the course of the thousand years, it's now boiled down to three entities, really. The Crown Estate, the Duchy of Lancaster and the Duchy of Cornwall. Now, the Crown Estate is a great deal of real estate. They all have a great deal of real estate. The Crown Estate is the royal parks. It's some of the royal palaces and this sort of thing. But that is held in the right of the king. Now, the king doesn't actually own this. He holds it in right for the British people, but he does derive an, an income from it, which is what used to be called the civil list and is now called the sovereign grant. And he gets a percentage of the profits, or the surplus of the crown estate, which is usually about 15%. At the moment, it's 25% because that extra nice. money is, is very nice. That extra money is going towards the refurbishment of Buckingham Palace. And this is really the only one of the only official figures we have. It's around eighty-six million pounds a year. Then there is to, then there is the Duchy of Lancaster, which the um, the monarch it's it's uh, it's his or her personal wealth. So he inherited this from the Queen when she died. He used to have the Duchy of Cornwall, which is the Prince of Wales's own personal possessions, as it were. Now he can't actually. Uh, the, the, the Prince of Wales and the monarch can't actually sell or gain from capital gains from the sale of anything in these duchies. It, the whole idea is that and the Crown Estate is inherited by the next generation in their entirety so that the wealth of the royal family carries on into future generations. Matthew also told us about what has been reported on the finances of the family and how much income they regularly receive. There's always been a bit of a fog about who owns what. Does the public own this? Does the family, is it privately owned? And this sort of thing. But the Guardian newspaper has been doing a great deal of research into this. Take, for example, the cars. The cars they drive around in, the Bentleys and the Jaguars and the really fat luxury cars that they have, it's difficult, very difficult to differentiate between public and private ownership of these. Some are part of the Crown Estate, some are privately owned. The Guardian guesses that it's, these vehicles are worth about £6.3 million. If we look at the palaces, the property, most of the, a lot of the palaces are not owned personally by King Charles. But he does own, because he inherited them from the Queen, Sandringham and Balmora, the huge states, one in Norfolk and one up in Scotland. Uh, Balmoral is 50,000 acres. Sandringham is about 6,400 acres. They can derive an, a private income from these. Is King Charles III any good with money? Has he shown, you know, he's developed things like there's various houses, Highgrove, where he likes to spend his own time, has been developed in a very high-profile way and people admire its gardens and, and things like that. So he is a bit of a builder. But is he also good with money? Yes. There was enormous amounts on horses, wasn't there? Yes, but then there was enormous amounts where they would sort of cut corners. They'd wear the same clothes. They they would, you know, wear things until they wore out. Charles is very... Thrifty um, like that. He's very famous for that, for wearing a yeah. pair of shoes until he goes down through the bottom of them. Mm -hmm. So it's, 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 they're in this peculiar situation where they have access to a huge amount of wealth, mm. but actually they're quite they're, they're quite sort of... Economical. Austere. Yeah, austere. Okay. Well, that, that may be a good thing for their public reputation, for example. <laughs> People might admire that. 
The core part of the ceremony will take place between 11am and 12 noon, when the king and queen are crowned. This part of the occasion is heavy on the regalia, including three crowns. The king first wears St Edward's crown, which is made of solid gold and was used since the 17th century. Later, he'll switch to the imperial state crown. Camilla, meanwhile, will wear Queen Mary's crown, which has been remodelled to remove the Koh-i-Noor diamond, and that is as controversial as the royals hope the coronation gets. This episode was produced by Amy McConaughey, Doa Farid and Arthur Edison. This was Beyond the Headlines. I'm Damien McElroy. Just remember to subscribe in your podcast app to get all new episodes as soon as they come out.